And now, gambling terms. Snake eyes. Rolling ones with a pair of dice. Double down. Doubling the original bet for one more card. Bad beat. When your strong hand gets beat. Illegal gambling can put you at risk. Protect our communities. Play legit and gamble only where it's legal. Learn more now at playlegitco.com. A message from the Colorado Division of Gaming. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-GAMBLER. This is the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Welcome to Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I am one of your hosts, Freddie, also known as Nighty Night. And alongside me on the web, we have David. Spoopy Kids. <laughs> also known as Nightly. Well, we are a group of knights with an absolute love for film and a passion for horror. This is a podcast that takes a different horror film to break down and discuss the ultimate question, why horror? So hit the lights, sit back, and let the darkness envelope you. You can support the show over at patreon.com forward slash goodnightlife, and that's night with a what? K. By pledging on Patreon, you will have access to the show as early as Monday. If you don't have any bucks to toss, don't worry about it. A new episode is released every Friday on most podcast services around the world. Don't worry about it. Now, don't worry about it, sweetheart. Don't <laughs> worry about it. <laughs> But we would appreciate you if you had the bucks to toss. <laughs> uh, but we are starting a new month this month. We're in October. Ooh. Yes. Uh, our new month being Trick Our Treat Month, where we explore films filmed around the pagan holiday, Halloween, which is my favorite holiday. Spooky. And very spooky month. We have a lot of great movies for you. And we have a movie that's starting off this month very strong which is Sinister. David, first and foremost, thoughts? So it's very interesting with this film. I still don't know if I've seen it before. I was watching the movie, and the entire time I was wondering to myself, have I watched this before? (laughs) Um, I just did not know. Um, But watching it, I, I wanted to get scared. So I watched this pretty late at night. Uh, by myself in the dark and um, it just didn't do it for me sadly I wanted to enjoy this movie but I I don't know what it was about it that kind of threw me off Um, it felt like it would have been a little scarier watching it back when it initially released and I had a moment where I was watching this movie and I was wondering am I just so used to <laughs> horror at this point Um that like you and I and Prince are watching horror every week, right? Like, is it? Am I getting to yeah. that point? And I don't think so. No, I don't think that's yeah. the point because you had sent me a text when you were watching this film, and you had shared your thoughts as well. What, what were what were you thinking when you were watching this? So it, it's very strange that you said that too because I had the same type of emotions. Like, I don't know if I've seen this movie before, but I'm pretty sure I have because I recognize a lot of the scenes. Um, I feel the same way though. I don't feel like I got scared during this movie, even though there is a lot of scary imagery. Um, I would say this, this is a movie that has a lot of good moments in it, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it kind of bored me not to say that in a very negative way. It's just, I wish they dove deeper into the mythology of the actual, um, deity the, the uh, that's in this movie. 
A ghoul? Yeah. Because yeah. that's a great concept. I love to like listen to the myths and the legends and it's coming real and it's a real thing. And this guy who writes real life crime dramas and stuff like that of real cases is faced with something so paranormal and that's not seen as often in movies that type of way. So I was hoping they would have executed this movie a little bit better. But overall, it's still somewhat enjoyable. Uh, there is a lot going on this movie, and it kind of drags a little bit. It's a little too long. It's almost two hours. But yeah. I, overall, it, it was an okay movie for me. I have to agree with you. I think it would have been awesome to really delve into the mythology of, you know, the Bagul and why it's here and why it's doing what it's doing. I mean, we do get that um, from moment to moment. But I do have to give the movie some credit. Some credit on a positive note, I thought the the found footage um, that our character watches. Um, I like the way it's presented. I like the 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 sound design in this film, especially when we are watching that found footage. Um, that is when I did feel a sense of dread uh i did i was creeped out and it very much gave me the vibes of um when i was younger and i would explore creepy pastas um this just like sense of something so wrong here and it's i shouldn't be looking at this but i can't help but want to watch um there was a uh uh a film reel with a lawnmower and that was uh, a moment where i was like oh i actually like that 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 spooked me a bit. Um, but what I really like is, and I wish the film overall explored with this more, when you're looking at the what is on the film reels, it has a really good um, layer of effects that kind of give it this creepy vibe. Of course, they're trying to make it look like film, um, but this center, this like the center of light focused on the subject we're looking at in the found reel and it being surrounded by just black um, and it gave you it gives you this very isolated view I like that I wish the film explored more with that or played with that in in the waking life if that makes sense um, but yeah there were some good moments I just think they didn't completely execute it completely throughout this film I think so too I, I do like what you said about like how the found footage stuff looked really good. Uh, we'll dive deep into that when we talk about the movie facts. But I would say this. It would have been interesting, and I was just thinking about it right now. Is like, it would have been cool if this whole entire movie was a found footage movie. Yeah, I have to agree. That type of aspect ratio and like that look. And you're just like following this author, and he's having a documentary of his next great book. And dives deep into his like investigation and stuff like that. It's like, oh, there could have gone so many different ways on how to film this. Uh, and still, I'm not saying that this movie is bad or anything. It's like, I'm just saying they could have executed it a little bit better and could have done better with the storytelling. But overall, it got me interested. I even watched a YouTube video of Bagul afterwards. Oh, really? More about it. Ooh. Uh, there, there's not much on there. Everything's tied to sen- uh, to the movie Sinister and Sinister 2. So I don't know if that's actually a real deity, but it says that he's connected to another deity, which is someone that was real, which was like his brother. And he used to like have people sacrifice children to him to like fulfill like their wishes and stuff like that. Interesting. There's a lot of cool history behind that. That's cool. That's That's what I kind of wanted in the movie though. 
I didn't have to want to research that. I wish yeah. to go deep into it, but you, you it's wanna, fine. You want to be presented that substance and that context to why everything's happening. Um, I didn't know there was a Sinister 2 until I went to go watch this movie on Netflix. I saw it right next to you know Sinister 1. And it made me curious if um, they maybe did a little better of an execution in Sinister 2. Have you seen it? True. I have not seen it. Huh. And I know that this movie did really good at the box office, which yeah. we'll go into next. But I'm not surprised there was a Sinister 2. I didn't know there was one until, like you said, on Netflix it popped up. <laughs> yeah. And I'm I'm interested in watching it just because I like the mythology enough. Uh, I don't know if I'll go watch it right away. But at the same time, I'm interested if it's going to be their house and then that family moves back to their old house and that would, happens again. That would make it a lot more enticing and fun to watch because there is, as we'll go into the story throughout the episode, there is a chain that um, cannot be broken. And it'd be really cool to lay the foundations in Sinister 1 and see that chain of events continued throughout Sinister 2 and already knowing from the get-go, I know where this is leading to. I am familiar right. with this chain of events that can't be broken. That would be really fun. So I wonder. Maybe I'll check it out on my own time. Exactly. Because at the same time, it's like, oh, they don't really show the footage of what happens at the end. I wonder if that's going to be like the beginning scene of someone finding that footage and seeing that uh, conclusion yeah. happen. For on the camera <laughs> weirdly enough whenever i think of this movie i think of like slender man and i think it's because slender man really got into mainstream popularity around the time this movie came out i think it was like 2011 2012 versus like i know slender man was around a lot longer than that i remember a few years prior to that playing the slender man games uh and that being like a hot topic of like look how scary this is um but I don't know why I always associate that movie with uh, Slender Man. It's it's very interesting to me. But um, I can definitely see it because it feels like a creepy pasta. It feels like an urban legend. Exactly. It's yeah. One of those movies where it's like it feels that way, like Ouija or like other films like that. It gets you that oh, it's something that's been told for many generations, but it happens to be real. Yeah. And now you're dealing with it. Yeah. Shout out to the Ouija movies. Those are good. The second yeah, one's a lot bad. better. The second one's a lot better. First one's like a guilty pleasure. <laughs> uh, I think what the second one was Mike Flanagan. Yeah. Am I right? Yep. There, there you go. That's why. Mm -hmm. But let's uh, dive deep into this. So Sinister, directed by Scott Derrickson. Uh, this being the second Scott Derrickson movie that we've recorded. Um, if you can't find that movie, it's because it's on Patreon only, which is the... Exorcism of Emily Rose. I love that episode that we did. Yeah, I did that's too. That's one of my Patreon exclusive. One of my favorite movies that we have watched as uh, nights. It was such a blast, and also it was one of the first episodes we've ever done together. Um, it was just a good movie. I, I I highly recommend anyone that hasn't seen that movie give it a shot. Um, or hey, if you want to check out our Patreon, I. It might, it's, it might be kind of funny to go back and listen to. I haven't listened to it in a long time, but that was about a year ago. Um, so it would probably be fun to go back and listen to. Oh, for sure. We were young knights back then. <laughs> we were still getting knighted. Exactly. Uh, such a fun movie. Uh, this movie being released October 12, 2012, with a runtime of one hour and 50 minutes, the budget of only being $3 million dollars, 
and a box office score of $82.5 million. It did pretty well, so then. It, it crushed it. Yeah. I'm not surprised there's a, a second one. A score on Rotten Tomatoes, though, only at 63%. I think that's pretty which, accurate. That's fair. Yeah. I think that's fair. I think um, it's funny. So I asked Bella to watch to watch if she wanted to watch Sinister with me. And as a lot of longtime listeners will know that I typically watch these movies with Bella. And uh, this is one she said she couldn't do because uh, she saw it when it came out. And the concept of of this evil entity living within film just scares her so much. She's She very much delves into photography and film. So... She's like, that's my passion. I don't want to mess up my like my mojo thinking about that stuff when I'm working with uh, film. Uh, so I can't blame her. Um, but the reason why I bring that up is because with that 60 percentile rating, I could see it where for someone like you and I, Freddie, we may find it a little boring at times in this film. But I can see more mainstream viewers actually f- getting scared by this film and actually having a good time with it yeah i think they took a lot of of risks uh with the content that they put out in this movie um it's definitely something i'm not too interested in Mm and what they like show in this movie just because it's not something that i find myself entertaining yeah but at the same time it's something like oh you gotta check this movie out it shows this this and that and gets people to the movie theater which it totally did because they got a pretty large box office off this. And horror yeah. movies generally don't have box office scores like this. So mm-hmm. I, I'm not surprised. I think it's a good film. It's just, it doesn't excite me all that much. Would I recommend it to most people? Yeah, I probably would. Um, but it doesn't get me on the edge of my seat. And that's what I typically look for to an extent. <laughs> exactly. No, and it's on Netflix right now. It's streaming. It's free. This is definitely a good movie to watch, especially now in this month of October. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's kind of funny that we're recording in August in the hot summer night <laughs> with this movie. But listening to this episode in October, it definitely gets you in the spooky spirit of watching these types of movies. Mm-hmm. Gets you ready for that main holiday and kind of just have fun with friends watching this movie. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I can't talk to this movie that much. It's it's a fun watch. Yeah, I think... I think with friends, yeah. it'll definitely be a lot more enjoyable. I watched it alone this time around, so maybe that's why I didn't have too much fun with it. Uh, but yeah, uh, for the month of October, get a bunch of friends. Maybe just get some candy, some popcorn. I think it'll be a fun time. Absolutely. Well, movie opens with the first logo, Alliance Films, but there is some static audio with it. Opening credits continue with Blumhouse Productions great production company (laughs) that's when we cut to black immediately and open to a whole family about to be hung from a tree we hear the static again as it fluctuates we see the family begin to get raised up in the air with the ropes around their neck everything seems to suggest that we are watching a home video at this point we stay with the family raised up hung on the tree until they finally stop moving and now they are dead that's when we get the movie title underneath it Saying sinister. So this is where I was um, speaking on earlier, where I think it's the found footage is probably the best part of this movie. And I think it's pretty safe to say a lot of people may think that. I think why it's so successful is especially like with this opening shot, it sits on this on this shot for a very long time and it's uncomfortable, right? You're seeing a family hung and it's that's very it's very 
disturbing Dark. to yeah to view. <laughs> sure. And um, you think okay, it's gonna end soon, hopefully, right? But no, it sits there for a while, and it really takes its time. Um, so I think that's where this this does a good job. It just sits on there for a little too long, long enough for you to be uncomfortable. Exactly. It, it's yeah. The camera just stares at the family being hung. And you see this old grainy Super 8 film while doing it. So it feels very realistic. Uh, it's definitely a strong opening for this type of film because it tells you what the tone of the movie is going to be. So I think they did a really good job with the title sequence of just having Sinister at the very bottom, not even transitioning to a full, like, just a title. It was a nice little touch. Mm-hmm. And the transition was really cool, too. So the film breaks and then that's when we cut to outside of a house with a moving truck. This is when we get introduced to a couple, Ellison, played by Ethan Hawke, and Tracy, played by Juliet Rylance. Uh, we see Ellison carrying a box to the front door, and Tracy playfully says, only one box, and he says, it's going to be into the office, and it's fragile. Nice little humor there, which is nice, little connectivity between characters. I think it also shows what kind of character we're dealing with here. He very much cares about his own personal belongings a lot more than helping most of the family stuff get in there and that could be a stretch to say that but i think there might be a little intention there with that because he would think like as a father of a family it's like hey let's let's get all the family belongings in and then i could get my stuff in but you when he takes his box over to his office all his other boxes are there (laughs) right right so that's really good insight yeah it kind of shows us ellison might be a little more self-centered than the rest of the family. No, that's a good call out because yeah, I definitely not see it that way. I thought he was just being playful, but knowing his character by the end of the movie, you're just like, yeah, he's a man that only does his ambitions and does what he wants to do. Yeah. And sadly, family comes second to him, mm-hmm. which is yeah, sad, but that's a good, uh, good point. Good observation. Cause that definitely feels like it was intentional now that I think about it. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, he continues on throughout the house and we see their son. He makes it to his office and then sits down into a chair. That's when we cut to an officer's badge from Pennsylvania. Now we have our location. We see that it's the sheriff. He drives up to another patrol car that's parked outside and tells the officers uh, what they're doing there and they're here for an autograph. Looking disappointed, he continues to the family house. He sees that Tracy's outside getting stuff out of her car. He asks her if her husband is around. That's when we cut back to Ellison talking to his daughter about drawing on the wall of her bedroom. He says that her mom is asking for help and she doesn't and she says she doesn't want to move anything because she didn't want to move here in the first place. <laughs> he explains why he had to move and that there there has to be different things that he had to do. That he doesn't want to write college textbooks and they couldn't really afford their old place. She explains that she misses her old school. He explains that he heard that the schools around there aren't so bad. That's when he makes a deal with her that if they don't like it after he sells his book, they will move back. She takes the deal, which is a really cute moment. Yeah, this happening. Yeah, I, I enjoy this moment, too. Um, but I was waiting for him to be like, but you got to tell her to try to enjoy it. Right. But he eventually does. So, uh, yeah, I thought this was a cute touch. Yeah, it's it's funny because he knows that, like, once he sells his book, he can pretty much do whatever. It's like, hey, if you still don't like it and my book sells, we can go back. <laughs> and and but the book, 
is a priority. Yeah, but again, kind of with the comment about Ellison I was making earlier, it kind of shows how, I don't know, how he's kind of playing his family because we'll learn in a, in a little bit that the, the house that they moved in is a house where a murder took place. So his intention with the whole time was to sell this house most likely when he was done. Um, oh, for sure. But he's kind of spinning it into a way where he's like, look, I'll do this for you. And um, that's a pretty grand gesture, right? It's just like, let's sell this house that we just bought. If you really don't like it, just give me this time. But it's like, I get it. She's a small child. Sometimes parents do need to speak to their kids that way. But I, I think we're just um, unintentionally getting presented in his kind of personality, if that makes sense. No, exactly that point. You see his intentions that the only reason why they're there is because of that house being a place where someone died and mm-hmm. to further his career. Not necessarily, maybe he could afford that place that he was living in. Maybe he could be doing the textbook stuff to make ends meet, but he does want to have that, they say uh, later on, his 15 minutes of fame again, essentially. Yeah. But these are all good little points happening before the movie even dives deep into his character that we're getting a little hints of what type of person he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, then he explains, where does the painting go? She says, only in the bedroom. And then he says, where doesn't it go? And she responds, anywhere else in the house. And I just put here, cute moment. <laughs> he then asks her to go help move some boxes, and now she agrees. They begin to walk outside, and Tracy tells Ellison that the sheriff is here. He says, already? And she responds, Play nice this time. He says he always plays nice. She proceeds to say, I mean it. I don't want to go five miles under the speed limit just to get ticketed away anyway. Which is like, good. Good uh, background of what their old lives used to be like. But we don't know why yet. It's it's trying to build uh, context and uh, background stories very quickly and casually uh, for those that are interested in it. And I think it does a good job in doing that. Yeah, they, they set up their situation and how they live rather quickly, like you said. But yeah. it, it works. It's organically still. Mm-hmm. Uh, he goes up to the sheriff and asks if there's a problem. He says nothing, just a friendly visit. He then asks, you must not be a fan. What can I do? The sheriff responds, you pack your bags and head back where you came from. Elvis <laughs> says, he can't do that. But he can get him a signed copy of Kentucky Blood for him. Which is pretty funny. Yeah, it's a comedic um, moment. But also, it, it's like, it, this, it's very good the sheriff is very straightforward. Oh, yeah, it's like, oh, what can you do? You can head back where you came from. Yeah, I was like, damn. Like, ruthless. But, hey, like you said, straightforward. He then says, not everyone in his profession get it right. The sheriff responds, neither do you. Then he explains that his writings of a theory let a killer go free. And that this town doesn't need that. And now we know why police don't really like him. His work has got him in some trouble. Yeah, as a writer, I mean, it just seems like uh, the sheriff is like, they don't want anyone discrediting um, their work as law enforcement. And um, I'm sure the sheriff sees him as a threat, um, basically just showing like he's out there to prove that the the law enforcement in this town hasn't done their job adequately and they have come to a conclusion that might not be correct, right? They, in this conversation, you find out that they have deemed that Ellison believes there's a 
a missing child from the murder that we opened with with the hanging um and ellison is very much saying that this girl is missing and the sheriff's like that girl is dead like let's just move on because that was very traumatic for this town um and that's why and and you know that's why the sheriff is just having so much trouble with ellison being here because it's he's there to prove them wrong and to show that Right. They're not doing their job correctly. Exactly. He's opening up an old wound as well of mm-hmm. something tragic happening. And then pretty and much literally sh- stepping on toes. Yeah, and this this sheriff probably just sees him as doing it as exploitation. He's just trying to make a profit off of it. That's probably what the sheriff is thinking. He thought right. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, pretty much he says that they don't want them to bring the circus to be brought here. Ellison says, well, there's a missing girl involved here. He responds, she ain't missing. She's dead. Kind of like what we talked about right now. Mm-hmm. Then Ellison says, come on, you don't know that. He says, if the girl is alive, it ain't no miracle and they will never find her. Then Ellison asks, then I guess we should just let it go, huh? Damn, a lot, lot of talk back. Yeah. He's making friends. Like, <laughs> uh, Tracy said. Um, that... That asked, uh, doesn't the town need an explanation? And he responds back, you can never explain something like this. And I was like, that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, he explains that they did their job and he will see that and he is wasting his time. Allison explains every time an officer says that, he's wasting his time. Just means he thinks he's wasting his. I was like, oh, that's a pretty solid line. Because I guess he's had that before and proved cops wrong i guess yeah exactly that's what i was thinking too yeah uh he says that's clever you should write that down he guess guesses that he won't be getting any help from their department he responds i guess you do get some things right and it's such a funny back and forth it's like they play off each other really 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 well yeah at this point it's definitely gotten comedic Oh, for sure. And there's moments like that where it becomes like a comedy out of nowhere, which we'll talk about, which doesn't really blend well with this film, but we'll get into it. Uh, The sheriff points at the house and says, this was a bad taste. The sheriff leaves and Allison walks back to the house. Tracy asks how it went as she knows it was bad. She asks why he was pointing at the house and questioned if they moved a couple houses away from a crime scene again. As he is about to speak, she just says, no, just don't say anything. She'd rather not know. He says they didn't. She asks if he promises, and he says, I promise. We follow Ellison back to the house where we see the same tree outside as the beginning of the movie. So at that That's point, the end of that first be- scene. before you see the tree, I mean, you, you were saying you weren't 100% sure if you've seen this film before, right? Yeah. It's very interesting that we both have that same feeling. Because even watching the film completely, I still don't know if I, I've seen it before. Um, but when he had, when she was asking um, if we if they moved down a couple houses from the murder that took place, and he said no, did you have a feeling that, did you have a feeling thinking, oh, they're in the house? Because I did, but... Again, oh, that, for sure. that could be yeah. my subconsciousness just being like, you've seen this movie before. You know that. No, I think it, it gives a, I mean, the good context clue is like the sheriff, like pointing at the house and saying, oh, this was a bad taste. Oh, yeah. This is in poor taste. It's That's like, a good point. Okay. In poor taste. Yeah. 
And then you see the tree confirming that, like, yep, that is definitely the tree that we saw at the very beginning of the movie. Um, but when she said that, like, oh, we didn't like, move two houses down, right? And he's like, yeah, I promise. It's like, wow, you're you're a dick. But, <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, technically he's right. They did not move two houses down. They're in the house where the murders happened, which is crazy. But yes. Uh, the new scene begins with a black screen and some thumping. He breaks his way into the attic with a box and climbs up. He sees a scorpion on the ground and crushes it with the box. He sees another box out there and opens it. There is a bunch of film reels inside with very odd titles. First one says, family hanging out with the year 2011. And then the other one that says, barbecue with the year 1979. He picks it up and we cut to them eating dinner now. They explain once they sell their old house, they will be doing well. Uh, Trevor, their son, said he wants to learn about his father's work. Tracy says that he should lock his office because it's one thing to hear about what he writes about, but another thing to see it. We cut to him and Tracy in the bedroom now. She asks how long this time. He says it could be a long one. She explains she liked it better when he wrote fiction. She just says that she wants him to be happy, which is another sweet moment that they share together. Yeah, it it shows that, that this family is a family, right? It's trying to build that relationship. Right. To this point, everything seems very normal. They're just an ordinary family having dinner. Son is interested in the dad's work. Having see breakfast he, at this point, right? Right. He works into something ominous. At this point, that we don't know exactly what he really does, but we can tell that Tracy does not want his uh, son to look at what he does. Mm-hmm. So that's another like context clue of what he really goes deep into. Yeah. Uh, but then we look at his office, we see what's around, and you're like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I would definitely lock that door too. <laughs> uh, he explains to her that he just needs one more hit. She explains that Kentucky Blood was 10 years ago. And she supports him, but explains that could be his only 15 minutes of fame. She says that if it goes sour like last time, she will take Trevor and Ashley and move in with her sister. He agrees that it won't go sour. He kisses her and moves out of the bedroom. We cut to a pin board with a bunch of detective research Allison has done about the missing girl. We see a photo of the family and the missing girl circled in red with a post-it note at the bottom with a question says, Where are you? He enters his office and we see him going through all of his files. We see him to begin to pin up photos of the dead bodies of the family that have been hung. We even see a photo of the attic, but there is no box in it. He gets a post-it and writes, box of films, how did it get there? He looks at the box and sets up the projector and puts in the first film. And I just put here, the score is super disturbing and it has like that staticky sound. I was like, oh, that's pretty good, but... Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, and that's that's where I think this uh, movie did take it up uh, another notch than where it would have been without this really good sound design, Um, because there's there's just sound that just creeps you out, right? And this movie nails that I think the whole time. Oh, for sure, It, it has a very interesting aesthetic. This movie, like you can tell, it's from this movie. I haven't seen any movie that had like this type of score or like weird sound design. Mm-hmm. And 
it's unique. I'll give it that. It's just it definitely got the spooks going for me, at least. Yeah, what's good. what's interesting is they really play well with the um the lack of audio, but they still have like white noise, you know, going on at times. Um, and that being the sound design itself. And it is adding a layer of creepiness because you you're expecting to hear something, you're expecting sound to scare you, but it's just the sound of like just dread. It's just some it's just something's wrong and you can tell just by listening. And that's what I like. Oh, so good. Uh, as the film begins to roll, he has his notepad with him. We see a happy family hanging out outside, playing games and having a good time on the tire swing. They even have a picnic on the grass. Then it cuts to them being hung. The same footage as the first scene. Ellison is shooken up at this point and makes a drink. He takes a sip and restarts the film as he writes, Who made this film? Question mark. He sees them being hung again and writes, where is Stephanie? He stops the film and takes another drink. He says to himself, why would you film it? We cut to him outside looking at the tree, stares at it for a while and heads back inside. When inside, he begins to hear a sound. We see someone sneak by him and he feels it. He goes and checks it out and realizes that Ashley is just looking for the bathroom. I was like, okay, that's a nice little cheap scare, but... I'm for it. It, yeah. it gave some little environment for the house being super creepy at night. I, I wish uh, Prince was here because whenever I say a statement like this, he always kind of corrects me uh, because we all know he's just a endless knowledge base when it comes to horror. But what I wanted to say was I feel like in the early 20 teens, a lot of horror movies did this where something creepy is happening and it ends up just being something normal like in this case his daughter is just looking for the bathroom and scurrying around with her eyes closed um but i feel like that was a very popular trait um earlier in this decade to for the mood to be like haha i got you you're gonna get scared but it's nothing to be scared about you're just you're just on edge you know exactly no this is definitely a movie tactic that we've seen all over the place i would say like yeah early 20 or uh, 2000s uh 2010s to uh this is something where it's like Oh, it's just a cat. Oh, it's just a dog. It's just your son, daughter, anything that yeah takes away from the moment of being scared to like, oh, no, this is just a normal thing that could happen in your household. Yeah. But I completely agree. <laughs> but it's, still, it's a cool moment, I guess. Yeah, it's relatable. Uh, he... Everyone's had those moments oh, where they sure. hear something. Or I would imagine most people have that situation where they hear something in their house. They're like, oh, damn, this is where I die. And it's just like a family member or a pet or something. Exactly. We got that moment in last month's movie of A Quiet Place where we hear noise on the rooftops and then we find out it's just raccoons. Yeah. But then it gave that little nice touch of like, no, it's not just raccoons. That monster is out there too and takes one of the raccoons. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Added that little flair to it. Uh, It would have been cool. Like, yeah, he brings her to her room and then we see something in the background that's not supposed to be there. That could have been a nice little touch in here. But I say less. Uh, He helps her out and gets her to her room. He admires her paintings inside the room that she drew and says maybe one day she will paint something or she says maybe she will paint something, something good and be famous like her dad. I thought that was sweet. Uh, He kisses her goodnight. And before he leaves, she asks if he's going to write a really good book this time so they can go home. He says he will write the best book anyone has ever read. Turns off the lights. We now see him back in the office about to start another film. We see a different group of people now. A family that's on a fishing trip. 
You see them by the car and cut to a scary image. We see chains around that same car with the family inside tied up. We see that they have the kerosene on top of them. And I just put it here again. The music is very disturbing. We yeah. see the car get lit on fire and the film stops. Uh, I think the filtering on this video, I wish I could think of a specific name of what this filter is, but it it's this tint of like warm coloring, um, a lot of focused light that is surrounded by darkness and that's that sound design on top of it that's what makes it creepy because i think if you had just like normal noise of what's going on in the shot um it would it would be less creepy but i I think again just the the visuals of the effects layered on the video and the audio it just makes it so much scarier it's well done and i keep saying that i apologize no, that's perfect. I mean, like you said, it, it's a really cool aesthetic to look at, too. Um, it's well done. It's well shot. The one thing that gets me out of it personally is that I don't like snuff films. So just seeing, like, random people die in weird, creative ways. I'm not really entertained by it. Yeah. But I would say it's filmed well. Yeah, so I agree. I can't, like, knock that. But what's going on on the film itself, I'm just like, uh uh okay i'm gonna watch this <laughs> that's why i was not too big of a fan but this is probably what drove people to the theaters it's like you want to see this movie of where they went because they, they go there they take that risk of just showing these i was like damn it's pretty brutal but ellison grabs his phone and calls the police station he gets transferred to an operator as he looks at his book he decides not to talk to him he mount he hangs up he mouths all right then he goes and checks the photo of the attic and says, you came back and left the box. Why? He looks at the rest of the films and then we see the other titles. Lawn Work, 1984. Sleepy Time, 1998. And Pool Party, 1986. He starts the next film. He hears something and hears a door creak. He stops, and he stops the film and starts to investigate. He thinks it's Ashley again, but sees that she is sleeping. He continues around the house and starts to hear creaking come from all over. He looks down the hallway and begins to look towards the box at the end. He hears something coming from it and stops and slowly gets closer. It slowly opens and we see a hand come out of it. Allison is super scared at this moment. That's when we see it's Trevor who is coming out of the box and and he begins to scream really loudly. (laughs) Tracy rushes out and they both bring him outside. They try to get him awake because he is having night terrors. Seems that he has slept walk into that cardboard box. He finally wakes up and asks why he's outside. Ellison says that he wants to tell Tracy something. He says that it's that he's really sorry. She responds it's not your fault and they should go inside. And that's when they go all inside. It's uh Man. it's funny when I when I saw that scene of Trevor kind of leaning out backwards head lumped over out of the box i'm like oh this is why this character has long hair i I literally thought that i thought it was for this scene specifically um good call yeah but um it's interesting i wonder how realistic that is as far as uh having night terrors terrors go yeah because i mean like as far as going into the box leaning out like that and looking kind of scary like that uh because I'm sure a lot of people could see that scene as a little corny, but I wonder. I wonder how realistic it is. 
No, for sure. I know, like, looking into, like, Night Terrors, uh, they can be very violent, uh, very scary for the individual, not knowing what they're doing, especially if they are sleepwalking, because not all people who have Night Terrors sleepwalk as well. But I know they are going through a lot of pain and suffering through it, and often wake up really hot, very sweaty the next day, aka night sweats. Um, but yeah, I wonder how accurate this is. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's crazy. Definitely something I wouldn't want to have. And I feel bad for people who go through stuff like that, but I'm glad they kind of depict it pretty well in this movie because you definitely feel for Trevor. He actually goes through a lot. And ultimately I was thinking he was going to be the one at the very end, but we'll discuss who it was. Yeah. It leaves only one person. This film, (laughs) this film definitely depicts that something's wrong is going to happen to Trevor. Right. And it it really distracts you from what's really happening, but we'll get into it. So nice little twist. Uh, We cut to the next scene, which is the next day and they are at the dining room table. Trevor asked his dad what happened last night. And he explained that he got inside a box. Then they mentioned that he has done something like that before, peeing inside the dryer. Ashley asks if he did it again, and they all say no. They explain that he had a night terror. They all talk about being excited to school, and he tells them to get some road food and head out. Tracy tells him good luck with your murder victims and leaves. We cut to him back in his office and closes the blinds. He begins to start another one of the films. It's a family having fun in a pool. They look like they're all having fun and having lunch by the poolside. We cut to the pool, but at this time, it's nighttime. We see that the family is tied up on some pool, uh, pool deck beds attached to some rope. The rope begins to pull them in, and they fall into the pool one by one, drowning to their death. The camera stays rolling, and we see another person standing under the water. We see that it looks very horrific, has no eyes nor mouth, and the, the person's face is very pale. It has elongated face with dark black eyes. And it stares into the camera and Allison freaks out and turns off the projector. David, I think how'd you feel about seeing this for the first time? I think at this point, um I mean it's it's still very obvious by the Bagul's appearance, right? But you are definitely faced with the reality um that this thing isn't human because it's underwater, right? Um but um you know Thinking back on it right now, I had always imagined when watching this that the Bagul was the one that was recording all of this. Um, but it, it didn't dawn on me to question who's recording if um, the Bagul is in the the reel itself. So that we'll talk about. But yeah, I, I again, I don't know why when I see this design, I think of Slenderman. Um, but I know they're nowhere near being close in design i guess that's just something that i i just correlate in my head when i see um this creature well i can see the correlation because he's pretty tall pretty elongated uh face is very long uh if you really look at the design of him it's just black eyes and kind of like a soda mouth where it's like he has no mouth so it's kind of like very slender man is i think he's he's wearing a suit as well isn't he wearing, yeah, a suit? wearing a suit? That's probably what yeah. it is now that I think about it. Because it, I totally forgot about that. Um, so yeah, you're in a suit. I'm just think you look like Slender Man. <laughs> <laughs> Creepy guy in the suit, Slender Man. Yeah. Uh, 
But yeah, pretty much Ellison looks very startled at this point. He turns the projector back on and we continue to see its face. He pauses the film and moves closer to see it. He even touches it and we see the image begin to burn. He turns around and sees that the film has caught on fire. He quickly puts it out and we cut to him in front of the computer. He googles how to edit Super 8 film. He learns the quick history of Super 8 films and begins to edit the strips of the film together. He pulls out his camcorder and starts filming the projection of the film. He begins to play the pull video again. It's at this point where we see the face is no longer there because that part of the film has been burnt off. I actually he really like that. Recording. I, I love that too. I Because it, it really just sends a message to, at least that's how I see it. Um, it, it seems like the Bagul was like, I want you to see my face and then I want you to lose any evidence of it just like that. Um, and I feel like if I were in Ellison's shoes, I would take that as like a warning or like a, a calling card. <laughs> like I, I'd think, oh, I'm fucked. This thing, whatever this thing I just saw in film is clearly abnormal. And it that correlation of the film burning up like that, that's just too creepy to like ignore. Yeah, and also bringing it back to like the previous scene where he calls the cops. That was a smart move. I don't know why you're not taking this to the cops right now. <laughs> like, yo, you have literally evidence of other murders, not even the murder that you're like there to investigate. And you can actually close a case for some families that need that closure, but you yeah. decide not to because you want I, to write the best book ever. Yeah, we do know why he doesn't do it, right? We ha- we see that moment where he is looking at Bloody Kentucky and he's thinking, I could be right. on the on the verge of another hit. Um Exactly. But like at what cost, dude? Because like like you said, Friendy, like this can be evidence that um has never been seen before that can really help in these cases. As a viewer, we know it can't because we're dealing with something supernatural. But you know, if you're in this person's shoes to have that and to withhold it, it's pretty shady. But again, we've kind of talked about how Ellison as a character is pretty self centered and really is focused on creating um, fame for himself to to bring wealth to himself, and he he puts it under the guise of for his family. But I mean, at what cost? When he is putting his family in this home where these multiple murders happened very recently, and he is seeing evidence of this being continuous murders that may be linked together, but he never says anything. Right, he puts his own family at risk, and we see how that ends. So, very interesting. Uh, He takes the digital recording to see if he can spot anything. We hear the weird score continue as he watches. He sees something in the water, but we can't make it out what it is just yet. That's when we hear a car pull up, and we start to hear Tracy arguing with Trevor. He goes to check it out as they continue to argue with themselves in the dining room. Allison asks what is happening, and Tracy says, Your son is acting up again. Then Trevor asks if he is autom- uh, if he's automatically taking her side. He asks, what did he do? He says that he drew a picture. Um, then Tracy emphasizes that he drew a picture with a permanent marker on the classroom whiteboard. And that Tracy says that he drew a tree with four people hanging from it. Tracy begins to get mad at Ellison because it's the work that he's been working on. He explains that bad things happen to good people and that their story must be told. She responds, you are a real man of the people and storms off. That's when we cut to him working on his computer again. 
She comes in and tells him she's putting the kids to bed. She asks if he's working, and he says yes. Then she says, keep the door closed as she shuts it behind her, still having some attitude. I love Tracy. Tracy knows what's up. Yeah, Tracy's just really focused on being a good mom, right? But you could tell she's kind of fed up. Oh, for okay. sure. Yeah. As she should be. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> To honestly. be honest. Tracy's the real hero of this movie. Uh, we cut to him watching a new film. It's a video of someone filming inside of a house at night and is going upstairs. We see the camera reach a bedroom and a spot a little dog, a little chihuahua, barking at it. Then it pans to a person who is tied up with duct tape over the guy's mouth. That's when we see, uh, this is when we get a pretty cool shot of Ellison's glasses showing the reflection of the film. We see that the man tied up gets his throat slit. That's when we cut to the film and see a lady tied up as well. And we see a knife go to her neck. That's when we get another quick cut back to his glasses, seeing her throat get slit as well. I had to look away at these parts. Sad, uh, like It's yeah. kind of funny to say, but just, I don't know, something about it being so direct. I think I've just been overwhelmed with 2020 as a whole that is like, oh, I can't take so much violence in my face all the time. Uh, so I'm <laughs> not going to lie. I put my hand in front of the screen. I was like, I'll wait till it's over. But I kind of looked through my fingers. Um, but I did see the reflections through Ellison's glasses. I thought that was a good touch um, because you really see how he's reacting to it. And... Um, you know, at the end of the day, we do realize that we're just watching a movie. But for him, he's he's watching found footage. So his reactions and seeing the reflection of what's happening on uh, on the projector, um, I, I, I thought it was a really good way to relate to how it must feel to watch these for yourself. Yeah, as a filmmaker, this is a really good tactic to use to not show exactly what's going on, but you still get the point of what's going on. Mm -hmm. And I can't wait until we get to the movie facts about what you just said, too. <laughs> so stay tuned for that. Exciting but, stuff. Yeah, it, it's definitely, like I said, these are videos I would not normally want to watch, but at least they do it in a very creative, artistic way of Halloween showing what's going on, but in a very like intuitive way, which is good as they should do this as a filmmaker. But I continue on. <laughs> uh, the film continues down the hallway into a kid's room. We see a child tied to his bed. And as we know what's about to happen, Allison looks away and starts to drink from the bottle. We can see that the film continue out of focus while he drinks, which is a nice little touch of just seeing him drink. In the background, you just see it very blurred out of the video continuing to play. Yeah, it's just a real, it's really it's, good camera work. Oh, for sure. It, it's perfect because I don't want to see what's going on, too. So, mm -hmm. spot on. Uh, we can see that the film continues out of focus while he drinks. Uh, we see the film give out and the projector stops. He reviews the digital footage and sees a very particular symbol on the wall. He pauses it and prints it out and puts it on the pen board. And then he continues to watch the film. When it gets to the kid's room, he spots something and pauses it. He enhances the contrast and sees the words Science for Kids, St. Louis. Then he looks at the film and reads Sleepy Time, 1988. He Googles the information that he has discovered and gets a news clip. Headline, Family Brutally Murdered, Young Boy Abducted. Now we know what the boy that, that the boy wasn't killed, or so I thought, but that was another kid. So I guess Sleepy Time had two kids and two parents in that one. 
Uh, when the video ends, that's when he begins to hear a creak from upstairs. He stops it for a little bit and then continues his research. As he reads an article, the light of the office turns off by itself. That's when we hear a louder creak happen. He pulls out his phone and uses it as a flashlight and begins to investigate. He goes into the hall and looks around. The creaks continue. And I just put here, it's a very dark scene. The lighting's not fantastic, but it works well for the film to cause a little bit of tension. Yeah, there's a lot of moments in this film where it is completely dark and you have one light source that's very faintly um, lighting your subject. I think it actually works really well for this movie. Um, this movie, yeah, when it comes to sound design, when it comes to cinema- cinematography, uh, I think that's where it really excels. Um, and that alone is enough to watch this movie for. I think so. I completely 100% agree with that. Uh, it's just like at some points, it was like kind of hard to see what's going on. But mm-hmm. I think that worked for its advantage of just creating that tension and like trying to look deeper into it so you can get scared later. So I was like, it's a good tactic. I must have watched so. this movie before because I remember thinking like for a big backing up point of why I wanted to watch this at night with the lights off was because when things get dark, I want to be sure I, I could see what's happening. Cause there have been a lot of films that we've done on the show where I watch it during the afternoon and, and because of like lighting through the window, I'm like, oh, I can't see what's going on right now. Right. So I'm, I'm really glad that I was watching this at night because it's it the dark scenes actually are done really well. That's a good point too. Definitely if you guys are watching this movie, always watch it at night. It's beautifully done. <laughs> if you can handle it even more. If you can handle it, of course. Uh but you know what? It's the Halloween season while we're recording this, so you can handle it. Do it. Uh we see him go room to room, but nothing so far. We see him stop in the hallway a little relieved and then we hear a loud thump and some footsteps. He heads to the kitchen and grabs a knife and continues to investigate. He goes upstairs and lowers the attic ladder. He climbs up slowly with a knife and phone in his hand. He reaches the top and begins to walk around. Uh, And I just put here, we get this awesome jump scare of the attic hatch closing behind him, which even scares myself. (laughs) I was like, oh, you got me. That's pretty good. Uh, he he looks around and we see one of the wooden boards on the ground begin to move he picks up a fire uh, pick and is ready to see what's under it he flips it over and realizes it's a snake he freaks out as the snake gets away we see the wood board flipped over now and we see that there's drawings behind it the first drawing on the top is the family hanging out with the uh, hanging out on the tree with the man next to it uh, next to the, the picture the drawing that says Mr. Boogie. He begins to record with his phone at this point. We see through his phone screen that the family in the pool decks are under the water as well. And he says, pool party. Also want to point out that all the dead family members are labeled with their names, which is kind of creepy and scary in its own way too. Of just labeling all the people's names of the people who died. I was like, damn, that's pretty creepy. One thing to really notice about that though is like someone... Whoever had drawn this must have intimately known the families that were murdered, right? The fact that they can kind of depict who's who by name and by uh, position of where they are in the drawing, matching the video. Um, I think that says a lot. Oh, for sure. It's, and it's funny, too, because these all happen at different years. 
And this is all on that same board. Exactly. So that board has been either going along with the timeline or someone knew everything about it and drew them in later, but we find out what happens. Um, yeah. But then we go to the next drawing with the family burned in the car and he says, barbecue. Man, it's creepy. That one has the man watching on the side, also labeled Mr. Boogie. Next gotta, one up is the family. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. I got to ask you. So when you earlier in the film, when you saw the scorpion and now when you see the snake, did you think anything of it? At this moment, no. Okay. So you were just like, oh, there's a snake in the attic, of course. Right. And I, when I did my research after watching the movie too, or no, uh, I think there was a point in the movie which probably in my notes, it'll tell us about the scorpion and the snake. Yeah, but, there is. Yeah. But I, I remember thinking when the scorpion popped up and I wanted to bring this up earlier in the episode, I was like, oh, damn, that's like, in, that's, that's scary. Imagine if you just come across a scorpion when you just moved into a place and then later on a snake. And I was like thinking, is that just something normal where, where they're located? <laughs> um, but I would have been like, something's up for sure. Those are some pretty bad omens right there. Oh, for sure. Without a doubt, I would have moved out with the scorpion, to be honest. <laughs> I don't think so. But it, it's definitely like there's a lot of scary imagery in this. And of course, I would say no one likes scorpions. No one really enjoys snakes. Obviously, there are people that do, which all for them. They're braver than I am. <laughs> but yeah, this, this snake was pretty scary to look at. Um, as they continue, as he continues to look at the drawings, the next one up is the family with the slit throats in their bed, and he says "sleepy time," with Mister Boogie watching them as well. Then he goes to the next drawing, but he drops it. That's when he picks it up and begins to walk towards the attic exit. As he walks, we hear a big crash, and he falls through the floorboard, falling to the ground, and then we cut to black. Man, pretty good scene. Not too bad. Yeah, it was good. I think ending it with the falling through the attic was a good touch because I think that made me jump a, a little bit. Also, it's like, damn, that sucks. What's going to happen to you when you just fall to the ground? Oh, for sure. It was something I didn't expect, which brings me back to the point of uh, not knowing if I watched this movie or not. Yeah, exactly. But I had was, the same nice surprise. Hmm, That's like, a little oh, too cool. much of a coincidence. Maybe, <laughs> maybe we're living in our own little horror film. Right, we're in the the netherworld of <laughs> Bagul. Uh, we open to a new scene with him sitting down in the kitchen with some paramedics. They tell him that they sh- that he should get some stitches, but he refuses. Uh, the guy asks to see the hole, and he tells him all the stuff that he heard through it. The guy says, "You probably had squirrels." And it becomes a very funny conversation about the snakes and scorpions. It's like, oh, uh, snakes don't have legs. That's yeah. weird. <laughs> and I feel like this was a moment where comedy came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Didn't feel too too much like the tone of the movie was going for. It, it came it in pretty late with the deputy. I mean, earlier we we do see the same deputy saying like, "I was I was just trying to get an autograph to the sheriff, right?" Um, so we're reintroduced to him again, but. Yeah, you you can tell at this point that Deputy is going to be um, our comedic relief if he is going to hang out for a while. Yeah, he's a very interesting character because I don't want to sound mean. It's like he sounds really dumb, but he says really smart things. 
Yeah, he's he's They're just a really awkward person, and I think that's what's trying to be depicted. Yeah. But yeah, he, they talk about the the snakes and the scorpions, and then he asked for a copy of his book that he left his behind and would love an autograph. Uh, he goes inside the office and starts talking about how he wants to be in the acknowledgments. That is like, oh, you always talk about all these great people who helped you out. He wants to be one of them. He asks him to get the address of the family in the car burned and the family who died in the bed if he really wants to help. He said that he will get it and then he and he ultimately leaves. We cut to him driving off and so we see that Tracy is at the door and he or driving off and then we see Tracy at the door and apologizes about her behavior earlier. Back inside the house, we see Ellison looking at an old interview of his ba- of the book that he created. That he discovered something during his investigation that cops overlooked. So it brings back to that point of like, oh, he caught the cops not doing their due diligence of finding out the actual cause of a murder. And he was able to do that. So that's probably why there's bad relations with other police officers every time he goes to a new town. At this point, too, while Ellison's watching this, you can see him rolling his eyes. He's kind of just disgusted with his past version of himself. And um, it's interesting, right? Because it, it it doesn't seem all too far off different from the person he is now. Um, and there is some moments of like uh, of, of a sense of dishonesty when he's speaking during the interview. And I think current Ellison yeah. looks at that and can acknowledge that. And he doesn't really seem happy with his past self or his current self. No, that's that's correct. That's point on. Man. Um, even yeah, like exactly what we were talking about during the interview, he says he wants justice rather than another number one book. Uh, we kind of know that that's not fully true, that he is really looking for another 15 minutes of fame. Uh, but he stops the video and puts it in the other drawer with all the other tapes of the interviews. Back at his desk, he checks out the video he took of the drawings. He matches them up with the footage of each crime and sees that the face of the guy that was underwater is actually in every single video. He begins to print them all out and even pauses on one of them. He puts the print on the bit, uh, on the pin board. And then we cut to our next scene. A uh, new scene opens with Tracy and Ashley in the kitchen. Ashley brings a cup of coffee to him at his office and he thanks her for it. His phone rings and it's the deputy and he says that he has got what he asked for. That there was a Martinez family in Sacramento, California that died in their garage in 1979. He said that the son was missing. He asked for the address. It's 8224 Billington Sack. Then he explains that the next family with the address 2697 Piedmont Way, St. Louis. Allison at this point seemed very surprised by the address and he hangs up. He looks at his research and realizes before the Stevensons moved here, they lived where the Miller family murders happened. Hmm. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. What did you think at this point? Uh, I didn't, I didn't really matched up. I didn't think too much on it um, because all I can think of was because of all these film reels that we have, of course, there's a connection, right? And that's all I really thought of. But um, it, it, the fact that they had lived there before, nothing had dawned on me quite yet. Yeah, it's a, it's good exposition for what's coming up next, mm-hmm. or what they tell us later on. 
which I hoped they would dive deeper into because I still don't understand why it goes from house to house, but that's okay. Yeah. As he is saying that to himself, he, uh, he pa- the paused image of the scary man on the screen begins to turn and look at Ellison. It moves I, back to the spot. And, yeah. I just keep the going. I was going to say, I love this part. Yeah. Uh, it moves back to the spot where he was and he doesn't notice it. So I yeah, wish. How do you feel about this? I wish the movie played with this more. I wish we had moments where the Bagul was maybe coming out of the the screen or something. I think about one of the Annabelle movies, and you have, um, I think it's Varuk, the uh, demon that is uh, depicted as a nun. Um, and in one of the Annabelle movies, you have moments where the room will go dark. You'll see the painting right. of Varuk, and it's this slow, steady movement of seeing like a shadow move over and the nun following you throughout the house. But it's like it's more so of a like a slow approaching uh death. Um and I wish we got more of that. I would have loved to see moments of Bagul creeping out of the the uh the films or the photos that um, it's caught in. I think if we had more of moments of what happened in this scene and expanded on it, it would have made it a lot more fun of a ride. I completely agree with you. The The thing that really reminded me of this was it chapter one, when the kids are watching the projection as well. And then, yeah. of course, Pennywise comes out of the projection screen. Yeah, I want that's more. Such a great moment like that. I want more of that in this movie. I, I think that would have taken it to uh, the proper level of what I would have wanted from this movie. Yeah, I completely agree. But still, it was a nice little touch to have in there in this movie of just it looking at him and then going back to his normal position. And Ellison completely doesn't even look at it, which is great. Yeah, I just don't feel any threat from it. Because Ellison is unaware, right? And like he's just ignorant to it. So I would have loved to have moments of him face to face with Bakul a lot more in the film. It happens maybe like once or twice, but I would have I would have liked to see them like face off and him not face off, but like him come face to face. Right. Have him be more interactive with the characters rather than like a sideline exactly. character. Because Bagul doesn't do much in this movie. Yeah. Besides be creepy in photos and film. Mm-hmm, exactly. That's pretty much. <laughs> but he's the driving force of everything, so I can give him credit for that. He gets his job done without doing much. Okay. Uh, he looks back at the footage from when he was in the attic recording. He slows down the footage down and notices the ghost-like hands were covering his entire body, and he quickly shuts his computer off. Man, how do you feel about that? That was a pretty gnarly scene, seeing all the hands go onto his body and stuff like that. Yeah, I it's a uh, moments like that I like. I don't know why when it comes to <laughs> like seeing um seeing the world of the dead through different lenses and in this case it's through a video. Uh I I think those are things that I'm biased towards because it's just entertaining to see. Um but again, like I just said, I want to see more of that. A lot of these moments were like uh exclusive to just one scene or one moment um if it was a steadier climb throughout the film versus those haha we got you moments in the beginning like we spoke on we were talking about how 
there were scary moments where it turns out it was nothing, like it was his daughter or whatever it may be. It was Trevor having a night terror. But if we just slowly built up on those moments of seeing like visions of the dead creeping through film or photography and and Ellison slowly realizing that and having more evidence of that being built up, I would have enjoyed that a lot more. I th- I agree with you. Um, there's like there's a lot of moments. There's a lot of good moments in this movie where like sure the first time looking at something you don't see it, but then they discover it a little bit later on in the footage, or in past recordings and stuff like that, which I do like. I think a show that did a really good job with that was the haunting of Hell, Hell House. House. Yeah, definitely. Right? Where you could rewatch the series and still pick out different ghosts hidden in the background and stuff like that. So yeah. if they added more stuff like that, I would have loved. But I do like that there was some type of imagery where you didn't see it right away. And then we get slowly like introduced to it in later like recordings or photos and stuff like that. It's like, no, he was there all along. You just couldn't see him. We had to zoom up and show you. So I do like those little nice touches. But For- this little ghost hand stuff was pretty cool to me. Yeah. It's like, oh, and this is where I was like. Maybe I haven't seen this movie because I don't remember any of that. So it's funny because yeah, yeah. at that at, at those moments I was thinking the same thing. Uh, for those listening, if you're a horror fan and you still haven't watched Haunting of Hill House, it's it's you know it came out a couple of years ago at this point. Highly recommend it. And also go in it trying to see if you could find anything hidden in the background of the show throughout watching because one of my favorite things about that show is. Watching it and watching YouTube videos of all the things I miss in the background, man, does that make it seem so much scarier after I had already finished watching it? That's that's a good horror. Right. It's so good. It's like finding uh, Where's Waldo with ghosts. Or just highly just, recommend the show. Just imagine you like going about your week and some and you and you record your week and you think it's just a normal week and then you go back to to watch it and you don't realize there was just something watching you in the background the entire time that's just great that's yeah. awesome it's so good uh but we cut to him sleeping by his wife and he wakes up to the sound of the projector he goes to the hallway and calls out for his kids he gets closer and sees that the um that the projector is on and it's live with the hanging family being played both on the projector and on his computer. He turns off the projector and then pauses the video on the computer. He sees the man in the background in the woods behind the tree. He takes down the screenshot off the pin board and takes it where the sliding glass door is to see where he, exactly where he was standing. He puts the photo up and then puts it back down and that's when we see Bagul outside and jump scares Ellison. That was a good transition. That was a yeah. good shot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But he quickly rubs his eyes and now he's gone. He gets a flashlight and a bat and goes outside. He goes past a tree and hears something move around the bushes. That's when we see Trevor and he's suffering from another night terror. He quickly brings himself inside and Tracy asks if he's okay. And he responds he found him outside and that they need to put a lock on on his door. She says she will call the doctor in the morning. He asked for her to stay up with him, and he left something outside, and he goes to go get it. He goes back outside and picks up his flashlight. As he picks it up, there is a dog there in front of him growling, mad at him. We get this shot of Allison, 
and we see behind him are a bunch of creepy undead kids. We get a cut back to the dog stopping and stops growling as well and runs off back away. Allison gets the nice cut of the creepy kids now being gone. I and actually what were you thinking at this moment. I liked it. I I when I saw this, I was like, okay, we're picking things up. Things are gonna get spoopy. Um, and we're seeing um, you know, what those hands belong to. Um, and it's a really yeah. good shot, right? It's exactly. their silhouettes. You you barely see an outline of like their clothing and all that, but they're uh they're standing back there with fog and mist around them. And I was like, cool, this is what I want. But Sadly, we're an hour into the film at this point, and it's it took a little too long to get here for me. Um, and it it's in, it, it's a little weird with the dog being there too, because it's like, where did this dog come from? Two, why does this dog seem so aggressive only to give up? And uh, uh, you know, maybe it's because of the spirit of the children being there, but it just things didn't feel like they were flowing well enough for me. Um, and with the kids being gone, uh, I just wanted them to come back, <laughs> but I, I, it was a good touch. I was like, <laughs> That's I was fair. like, we're having moments here. Cool. Let's, let's continue it from here. Um, you got a spot on though, because this is part of the movie where it starts elevating a little bit. I do agree that the dog was there just for a scare tactic of him just being very worried, uh, being very scared, but it worked really well because when we cut to Ellison, we see that great shot of them being in the background and then he looks back at the dog and then back at him and then they're gone. So it's a nice yeah. little touch. It's just, I guess the dog kind of makes sense later on once he gets the images from the professor, but it does make it, sense it, later it's on. Still, it's but, still up in the air for me. It, it was a weird scene. It felt very awkward because he was like talking to the dog. He's like, Oh, I'm just going to get my bat. Yeah. So I can bash your head in. Yeah. Like, uh. it, it, I just, I wish like there was more interactivity with this dog. I like let this, let this dog actually be scary, but it's straight up just a, an, it's just acting like a normal dog. Honestly, a, a normal dog that is unaware of who this person is in front of them. Yeah, it, it's it's weird, but hey, whatever. Well, he goes back inside and starts to talk to Tracy in the kitchen. Tracy begins to freak out about something is going on on because of things never got this bad with Trevor. He starts talking about how big the situation is and how much money they can make. She explains that she's worried. He just says he needs a little bit more time and that it will be worth it. She ultimately agrees but is not happy about it. Next scene begins with the deputy at the door asking to come in. He asks if he sees uh he explains that he sees a connection between all the murders. He asks that he needs to be in the loop of everything. Ellison agrees to let him in. He brings him to the office and he looks and he looks at the guy on the wall and asks, who is that? He said he doesn't know, but he'll find out. He begins to explain all the killings and how the entire families were murdered except for one. He then shows the deputy about the symbol. He explains that he should show it to a professor that specializes in that kind of stuff. Uh, that's when we cut to nighttime and Allison begins to play another film. The film starts outside of a house. It's stalking a family through a window. The person filming, filming goes inside a shed where a lawnmower is and moves it outside. We see the lawnmower move around the grass like it's cutting it until we see a person on the ground tied up and the lawnmower going over the person's face. 
Uh, this is my favorite found footage there is, and only because the the view of the lawnmower is in so much tunnel vision. You don't know what's going on around you. It's kind of weird. I don't know. This is gonna probably sound crazy, and people are gonna hear this and be like, "What are you talking about?" Something about a lawnmower at night is so creepy to me, and I realized that watching this. Um, but because who lawns their mo- I mean, who mows their lawn at night? Exactly. I don't know. It's like you, who does that? You, ask yourself. Have you ever seen that before? A killer. No, that's creepy. A killer. That's who. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is more tunnel vision than um, I think any other of the films, and I think it's because it's only relying on the flash on the camcorder that's being used. So because of that, it's such a shock when you see it roll over someone tied up and it's really disturbing right um even ellison jumps out of his chair he's like oh what the fuck like that's fucked up that's disturbing to watch uh and he immediately stops it um whereas before he's he's watched through the reels before um this one's this one was creepy to me i think this is the 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 best found footage there was um also Again, the sound design, right? You're going through the lawnmower, you're expecting to hear it, but it's kind of silent or eerie, and it's it's it gets the job done. It's just creepy. I think you knocked it out of the park where it's like it's tunnel vision because the camera direction is literally right on the lawnmower and nothing else around it. So you're just following it on the grass, and out of nowhere, this tied-up person comes up on screen, and by the time you notice it, you see the lawnmower go over that person. And that got me too. I was like, oh man, maybe I haven't seen this movie because I did not expect that. Uh, And yeah, pretty much Allison, surprised, jumps up and can't even look at it, what's happening, what's going on. Uh, He exits the room. He looks disgusted. He goes back in and stops the film and you're just like, damn. But even the start of the next scene, we cut to him lighting a cigarette and then he decides to do a web call with the professor. Uh, On the call, the professor says it's not a pentagram. He shows him a different symbol, knowing exactly what they are from. Uh, He explains it's a symbol associated with the worship of a pagan deity. Uh, He explains that it's Bagul, the eater of children. What a title. Yeah, I know, right? That'd be like a really cool, like, MySpace name. Bagul, the eater of children. (laughs) He has his top eight. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, We know who's on his top eight. For our younger listeners, MySpace was a thing before Facebook or whatever's new now, before TikTok. <laughs> but yes. Uh, uh, but Bagul tricks kids to be away from the physical world and traps them in his own netherworld. He consumes their souls over time. He, uh, The professor continues that it could be an act of an occult. He asks if there are any other ones. And Ellison says, I think so. That's when we cut to him storing all the films in a projector into a room and locks it. We cut to him asleep again, and the clock hits 3.23 a.m. Uh, and I was surprised that it wasn't 3.33. I thought the exact same because thing. Because that's the common hour, but yeah. maybe the goals tied to that. <laughs> I mean, I we don't ta- know why they emphasize the clock and not give us information about it. I yeah. Like, ah, this is a perfect I, point. Within a lot of cultures, like 3 a.m. is the... The bad hour, right? You don't want to be waking right, up in the middle of night at three. And then on the show before, throughout different films, we've talked about three thirty-three and how that could be the uh, mocking of the Trinity. Um, so yeah, I I thought the exact same thing, Freddie. I was like, if you're gonna do it, do three thirty-three. But I guess it would have been too obvious, or because I know, I know with some cultures, just the three a.m. hour it can be considered 
uh, a little more evil. Right. But still, creepy time. Something happens. He wakes up with the sound of the projector and heads to the office. We see that it's on and playing the film of the family being hung by the tree again. He turns it off looking scared. He slowly grabs the bat as he hears a thump. He begins to walk through the kitchen. We get a very close-up shot of Ellison's face and a creepy dead girl's face appearing right behind him. Also a very nice shot, which I liked. But yeah. Uh, he doesn't notice as he continues on and the girl stays there standing in the counter. She runs across and jumps down and disappears. He continues to walk around and looks outside and now sees a creepy dead boy behind him. He still doesn't see it and continues onto the house. Walking down the hall, we see another little girl at the very end that runs into a room and he still doesn't notice. <laughs> he begins to walk that direction and now on the other side of the hall, we see a little boy beginning to sprint towards him, but then stops and goes into the room to his left. He I... hears the door creak behind him. Yeah. I just wanted to add in at this point, we see that they're all running in like a slow motion um, kind of pattern. And I actually really like this because it kind of, it kind of to me depicts that they're not on the same uh, realm as Ellison. Right. right? Um, And it's something as little as that. I think it's, it's, it's uh, needed to really depict that because if they're just moving normally, they're just going to look like kids that are trying to be creepy. I completely agree. It's just like, like they're on a whole different like frequency and it's creepy seeing the end of the hallway and the little like creepy dead boy is like sprinting, but it's in slow motion. Yeah. So you still like looking at its movements, like what's going to happen when he reaches him. Mm-hmm. But at the end, it just stops and then turns. And I was like, oh, cool. That was a really cool scene. But yeah, he, uh, he hears the door creak behind him and he turns around. He goes back into the office and the projector is still on. He turns it off and begins to check in on his kids who are still sleeping in their bed. But now we are in Ashley's perspective and we see that she is awake and looking at something on the corner of her wall. The camera pans around and we see a drawing on the wall with the family hung on the tree and the scary bagul drawing next to it. The camera continues to pan and we see a dead little girl looking at her and says, shh. I actually really like that moment um because we have allison um open the doors uh of the bedrooms for trevor and for ashley and when he opens ashley's bedroom door you see her moving around a little bit and you think oh she's asleep but when we get her perspective right we see that she is in shock she's heavily breathing and her eyes are wide open and um i think the little girl's name is stephanie right um stephanie looks creepy and it's just like it's so funny because Ellison thinks everything's okay with her, but no, he's completely wrong. And it's, it's, it's a cool moment. Oh, I I love the moment because she looks super creepy too. Like the design that they did or the makeup design for these little kids, Mm -hmm. they look really well done. And just the fact that they're just putting their hand up and shushing, like this is a secret. Don't say anything. Yeah. It's super creepy to me. Uh, just that mannerism of just dead ghosts shushing people. Mm, chef's kiss on that. <laughs> but uh, We cut back to Ellison beginning to lock down the entire house. He sits on the couch, sighs, and feels a little more relaxed. He falls asleep, and time passes to morning. 
He goes back into his office and sees that the projector and film are are on the desk. I just want to add, then, when he yeah. is laying on the couch, we have a uh, timeline of the sun rising outside of the window through the curtains. And that's where I wanted to really add, like I said earlier, the cinematography in this film is just great because it's it's so subtle, but it's clearly obvious what's being conveyed. Things like that. If you're like a, a film nerd, it's just it's it's fun to watch. And I just wanted to give it a good shout out. I completely agree because it's very intuitive and creative ways to show time passing. And it's just a nice way to transition to the next scene as well. And it just kind of shows that he stayed up there all night with a bat in his hand, waiting to see if something was going to happen. He locked down the house. He gives contacts of where he is mentally. So that scene is very important to see the time pass. Yeah. Building off what you just said, um, that it conveys where he is mentally. It, 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 conveys that he may feel like he only slept for a minute because he was so anxious right even though a whole night went through exactly which yeah so good uh we cut to a later time with him talking to the deputy he expresses that they are becoming friends and the deputy agrees he asks if there's anything weird about the stevensons the deputy says no he then asks if there's something you want to tell him if something happened, and he kind of nods. That's when he asks if his wife knows about the house. Elson says no, and the deputy is surprised and jokes about not wanting to be in the same room when she finds out about that conversation. It's just a nice little touch. A little mm-hmm. more comedic relief from the, the deputy himself. He then asks what happened. Elson begins to explain that he doesn't believe in paranormal things, and the deputy emphasizes that of course not he doesn't that he wouldn't have moved into a house of a murdered family if he had, but yet they're having this conversation. <laughs> he asks again if the Stevensons had any experience, and the deputy says, nope, nothing. The deputy begins to explain that he is in so much stress that he's trying to process all these things at once, and it's probably just taking a mental toll on him. Allison asks if he believes in the outer-worldly stuff. And I just put here, for me, to my surprise... He says, are you kidding me? I believe in all that stuff, which is yeah. pretty funny. I actually I like that. that. That's, that's refreshing because in a lot of the movies we watch, right? A lot of people don't think, oh, this is some supernatural shit. And this guy, this deputy is like, hell yeah, I believe in that. I would not move in here. You're crazy. Um, so it's really refreshing. Yeah, because he, he shares that like fun moment. It's like, yeah, I would not spend one night in this house. <laughs> it's like, man, that's funny. Uh, he begins, oh, that's literally my next note. He begins to explain he wouldn't spend a night in this house. Allison begins to explain that last night he felt that something was in the house. That he woke up on the couch with a baseball bat. The deputy explains that if he sleeps in that house, it's only going to do terrible things to his head. We cut to him working at his desk and we hear Tracy calling for him. He rushes over and asks what is going on. She explains that her daughter painted something outside of her room. As we look at the painting, we see it's the little girl from the videos of the family being hung swinging on the tire swing. Ashley explains that she was asked to paint it out there because the room used to be her brother's room. Tracy asks, who is she talking about? She answers, Stephanie, who used to live here. That's (laughs) uh, that she's the one daddy's writing her book about uh, his book about. That's when Tracy is pissed and storms into the bedroom. 
He goes in and closes the door, and she lets him have it. She says that, what were you thinking? Did you think I would have never found out? He tries to recover by saying she didn't want to know, and that the only, and she only asked him if they were living two houses down from a crime. What a dick, man. Yeah, and this is where we really see full well on how manipulative manipulative uh, Ellison is because he's really just trying to defend his actions and it's like dude you've done wrong and just uh, like own up to it like have accountability uh, but I think what he's trying to do in his own mind is convince himself that he hasn't done anything wrong because he that means he's going to believe all the weird things that he's been seeing and experiencing are reality yeah, he's definitely using the old conversation to cover himself up. It's like, oh, you only asked if we moved two blocks away. Mm-hmm. It's like you said you didn't even want to know. So he's just using anything in his willpower to like get out of the situation, which very grimy, very disgusting for him to do. But uh, he explains that they didn't die inside the house. And she loosens up a little bit and says, so they didn't die here. He said, no, they died out in the backyard. She begins <laughs> to yell at him again. Man, <laughs> literally anything to get him out of trouble. Yeah. Uh, she begins to get angry that their son is doing terrible with the night terrors and drawing the crime of what happened at school. Uh, what happened at school. She says that you must feel like it's worth it to him to put his family at risk. He screams at her that he does care. She starts sharing all the things she has to go through, living in a town that hates them, getting weird looks, but lost um, by pretty much having her children drawing these exposed horrific crimes. And I just put here on my notes, like, I feel for this family. They do go through a lot. They do, and yeah. It's terrible that the kids have to mentally take all of this and put it out as, like, drawings or going through night terrors, probably mm-hmm. tied into the work that he did in the past. But I don't know how you felt about this scene, but that's where I was coming from. No, yeah, I, I honestly just think that Ellison kind of made them the odd family and it's and they all had to deal with it because he wants to pursue his dreams. But like you can tell that Tracy just wants to have a normal life, normal family and like be with her family and have a good time. But she just is not getting that from her husband. And it's sad. Oh, completely. Uh, Tracy is definitely in the right for me in this movie. Yeah. Uh, everything she says moving forward right now. Uh, is 100% accurate. So <laughs> pretty much he's... So let me see here. Uh, she explains that this book is just for him and he can be doing other things to provide for the family. He says that he can't, that writing gives him like uh, his life meaning, that this book is his legacy. That's when she explains that writing is not the meaning of life, that their relationship and their marriage is the meaning of his life, that his legacy is his kids. And... I completely agree with that. It's like your life should be around with like your wife, your relationship with her, your marriage and your legacy is not really a book. That's your 15 minutes of fame. Your legacy is the kids and how they grow up and bring your name down the line. But that's just me. Yeah. And in here we see how, like we've been saying the entire episode, he is very censored on himself. He says, what do you want me to do? Teach and whatever. And it's like, dude, that's, that's a great, job like that's a commendable job and that will leave a legacy but you can tell he only wants to do what he wants to do exactly there's no self-sacrifice for his family it's just 
his move. Uh, yeah, it's just his own ambition mm-hmm. gets in the way of that. But uh, Tracy being dissatisfied, she walks out. Then we cut to Tracy putting Ashley to bed. She asks if she got daddy in trouble, and she explains he got himself in trouble. She kisses her goodnight and walks to the living room. She sees Allison passed out on the couch watching another one of his old interviews. Uh, she takes the remote from his hand and turns it off. He finally wakes up and she says it's time for bed. We cut to them asleep and the light goes onto his face. It moves close like someone was filming him. It turns off and he wakes up to the sound of the projector again. He then begins to hear a very loud static. He walks down the hallway and has keys in his hands. He gets to his office and as soon as he turns on the light, the the projector soon turns off and there's nothing on top of that table. He still hears that or he still hears something coming from the attic and continues to the kitchen. He gets visions of the ladder to the attic and that's when he looks down the hallway and sees the ladder is down leading up there. He asks what is happening. He begins to climb up and we hear a loud projector. He peeks his head into the attic and sees the projector playing a film. A camera is move or the camera is moving through the hallway of the house and then we see Bagul. From the film, we see that he's really up close, and then it becomes in real life in front of his face. Man, how do you feel about seeing him pop out like that since we talked about it earlier? Yeah, I wanted to be scared, but it didn't get me, sadly. And I think it's because this scene is uh, depicted in the trailers for this movie a lot, and I still remember that from almost 10 years ago, right? Um, But I wanted it to scare me, but it didn't. That's fair. This was one of the jump scares that, yeah, I don't think it transitioned well from the screen to real life. So it's yeah. kind of like, eh. Um, I, do like, I, big... I do like the kids being there because it's just disturbing to see them all sitting together. Um, the, True. The thing with Bakul, it just he doesn't look um, like an evil entity um, as much as a like a dude with like a like Joker makeup on, if that makes sense. And I think that's yeah, where it, no, that, it that makes perfect sense. Yeah, I think that's where it kind of uh, takes it away from me. Maybe he looks too human to be yeah. too scary. He's too humanoid. Yeah. Like I, I want him to look more demonic, but uh, I'm just that's just I'm a sucker for that. That's my my avenue of horror that I like. I like supernatural demonic stuff, and um. I'm just projecting that onto here. Um, I don't think it's a bad design. It just doesn't scare me. I agree. It, he's not someone I would have nightmares of. Yeah. From like other past movies that we've seen, there's a lot more scarier stuff than Bagul, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But we continue. Allison falls off the ladder to the ground and we hear the projector turn off. Then we see the box of films fall to the ground, scaring him. He starts to collect everything and brings it outside and lights it on fire. Tracy comes out and asks what he's doing. He says that you were right and we need to leave now. He tells her to go get the kids. He goes in behind her. We stay with the film a little longer watching it burn, then cut to Tracy getting Trevor. Then they go into Ashley's room and get her as well. That's when they begin to drive away and Ashley asks where they're going. He says we're going home. Which is great. That's what she wanted. 
Um, yeah. And at this point, I'm like, yeah, cool, finally. But are they going to escape? And then at this point, I, I think it's so funny, Freddie, that you and I keep talking about this. But we keep having these moments of like, oh, I must have not seen this movie before because I was like, are they going to make it out of the house? Like, what's going to happen? So um, I was excited to see them try to leave. I don't. I, I like when characters in horror films do that because it never works out. And I like to see how it ends up going down after that. I completely agree because I got that same moment. It's like, oh, I don't really remember what happens. I don't know how this movie ends. And then mm-hmm. pretty much what happens next, I was like, oh, I don't even remember that happening. It's like, oh, I wonder if their car is going to break down or pretty much what happens next is that Trevor asks about their stuff. He says that we'll call the movers in the morning and he's pretty much speeding and the cop lights pop up sirens everything pulls him over and it's the sheriff i was like oh man is this where like something bad's about to go down but yeah me too that's exactly what i was thinking i was like i expected something to like come out of nowhere maybe kill the sheriff somehow i don't know (laughs) (laughs) and it's kind of funny when they went inside the house i expected trevor to be missing from his bed which made them stay at that house yes that didn't happen i thought the exact same thing that's really funny it's very interesting, which made the ending a little bit more surprising, which is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, they get pulled over by the sheriff. He says that he's taking his advice to leave town and never look back. Uh, and then that's when the sheriff asks, are you getting bullied out of town? We don't want you to be writing bad about our town folk inside your book, <laughs> which is really funny. Uh, he explains that there is nothing to worry because there's not going to be a book. And that's pretty much when he's like, well, I guess I don't need your autograph. And rips up the ticket and sends him on his way. Uh, Which Tracy is cool. asked if he meant that. And he said, yeah, and that he promises. She kisses him. And he says, let's just go home. I think that was a good scene. Yeah. Well, uh, when that stuff was happening, though, I was like, all right, step on step on it. Get on the gas. Because, like, you guys are running out running something, right? Because, uh I mean, think about what he just saw, right? In his attic. He should be like flooring it at this point, even after almost getting a ticket. Yeah, at that point, it sounds like, yeah, the sheriff wants me out of here too. But the sheriff <laughs> makes that cool little joke. like, just keep it under 60 until you get out of my county and then you're someone else's problem. Yeah. It's like, that's a cool moment too. Their dynamic is funny. <laughs> uh, new scene opens up to a new day and it's at their old home. They're moving back in, and the movers are bringing all of their stuff in. He gets a call from the deputy, but he ignores it. Then we cut to night. We see Allison putting in, uh, putting on the fireplace, and then he begins to wipe off all of his research off the whiteboard. We hear a ding, and we realize it's an email from the professor. The download on the email says, three scanned images for you. He opens the attachment, and we see these very old images. One with a snake at the top with three people tied to rocks underwater. Another image of a scorpion next to people getting burned alive. The last image we see is one of the symbols with a dead person above it. With its like chest opened up and stuff like that. And then later on we see there's like a dog next to it. It uh, all makes sense. Up, right? Everything's connected. Yeah. And I don't know if they actually... We'll, we'll continue on the scene. I don't know if I researched it after the movie or they said it in the movie, but we'll find out. One thing that got uh, me... Op- sorry, I just wanted to add. Um, Very good. What would you do, Freddie, if you ex- you were in Ellison's shoes, right? And you experienced all that and you ran like hell and you escaped. And 
you know, this is something that was exposed to you through film and phot- photography. Um, and someone sends you three images about that particular subject. I was so surprised that he just opened it up. Like his curiosity literally killed him, right? Or what we would assume because he is now bringing that into his current home. I thought it was a bad move. What do you think? Oh, man, it is tough because doing the investigation, he doesn't really know about like the images and how they're gateways until this conversation starts. Yeah. So maybe at the time, it, he kind of like does something with these images afterwards, which we'll talk about. But being in his shoes, I would just be done with it. I would hope everything's done, but I would still call the professor just in case okay. as well to get more in- okay. answers. If I saw it, I would maybe open it too. I don't know. At this Dang. point, he doesn't know how the, the demon works. Curiosity killed so, the cat. I don't know. It's a tough situation for sure. <laughs> Which I do like that they did this in the movie though because it gives us a little more like answers of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And the FaceTime call works out really well too. Yeah, you're right. Uh, the, um, we, we do need that exposition in this moment or at least what's coming up because – um, if we just continued without that, we wouldn't be given enough context to why all this was happening. Exactly. But just like that, uh, he opens up the web call and reaches out to the professor. He asks, what is he looking at? He says it was uh, very hard images to get because that Christians would destroy these images because they would think Bagul would live in these Im- uh, images and would act as a gateway that he would take possession of those who looked at those images and caused them to do terrible things, that he can even abduct people through those images. He asked what would happen if he set fire to those images, talking about the film and the projector. He asked if the gateway would be closed. That's when the professor looks very interested and asks, what type of book are you writing? He says he doesn't think he's writing one anymore. He just thinks the professor and signs off. Then he drags the images to the garbage can on his computer and deletes them. So he does do his due diligence of doing that at least, which is good. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, that's when his phone rings and it's the deputy again. He goes, uh, does he ignore this one? He does. He still ignores that call. Uh, He goes to the attic and finds the box he wants burned being there. He looks at it pretty scared and opens it very slowly. The projector and films are inside. He dumps all of it out. He then sees an envelope that says extended cut at Dean's. And I thought that was perfect because we we were just speaking on how curiosity is um, Ellison's weakness, right? And what a twisted, enticing way then for this extended cut endings package to be placed there for him. Like what? I'm assuming the Bagul is leaving this for him, right? And it's very much in confidence that he's not going to be able to turn away from this. He's his own weakness. He's his own demise. And I think it's such a good touch to be like, don't you want to see these extended cut endings? And I just think it's hilarious. And I would say, like, as a viewer, I was like, I'm enticed to see those yeah. uh, extended cut endings to you. That's, that's a Especially really good point. Having that feeling... Of like not knowing if I saw this movie or not. It's like I don't yeah. remember this scene at all. So that's like, a cool. That's a very good point, Freddie. Because yeah, as an audience member, you feel safe enough to to be like, well, what are the extended cut endings? Show it to us, right? 
um, even though you you may know you don't want to look at it. Oh, for sure. I thought it was going to be more Bagul, so it was still a nice little surprise, as we mm-hmm. will talk about it later. But he opens it, and we see some extra film. He quickly starts editing them together and making them work. He puts it in one of the reels, and his phone rings again, and it is the deputy. This time, he actually answers it, and he asks the deputy if he knew how late it was. He asks, what's the problem? He said, the problem is that you moved. He asked, <laughs> how is that the problem? Which I was like, yeah, how is that the problem? I was like confused by it too. Really? When I heard that, I was like, (laughs) I thought deputy so-and-so was like, we had a thing going on, dude. And now I'm not going to be in your book. (laughs) That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That's that's true. He wanted to be part of the acknowledgements. Yeah. He wanted to be part Uh, of something. Yeah. And he, he was, he got all the research done. He did the job. Um, he said once he started to put all together all the data that they were all connected in those crimes, that every family lived in one of the houses that the previous family was murdered. He asked if it was each family, all five of them. The deputy says yes. He then starts to say that if you put them in chronological order, you can actually draw a line from murder to murder. They start breaking down that all the families moved away from the house where the previous families have died. Then he warns that he just moved out of that house and not only sped up the timeline, but he put himself right in it. Damn. Mm-hmm. That was a good line to say, too. Yeah. It's like, man, you made the bad move right now. I mean, it was a he, good move as a character to, like, get the fuck out. But at the same time, terrible move because that's exactly what they want. It's so strange because Ellison Damn. takes the news so calmly and nonchalantly, which is weird to me. But... It, I don't know. Does he like know? Is he giving up? Does he know something's going to happen? I wonder. Well, I think he's just like giving him the information, not knowing exactly what's about to happen. But he also says like, oh, if this person is still out there, he thinks it's an actual killer. Yeah. To like watch out for this person. He doesn't think it's the supernatural um, eater of children. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. So maybe he's not too concerned. It's like, oh, just watch out. There could be a killer coming after you right now. Mm-hmm. Rather than this deity. He, like, he's super powerful. He's still in denial. And and he hasn't seen the children yet up until this point like uh, his daughter Ashley has. Oh, for sure. Uh, but he thinks the deputy and hangs up the phone. Uh, he turns on the projector and looks at the extra footage. It's the video of the family being hung, but the footage continues past the moment we saw before. We see a little girl climb down from the tree and begins to swing on her father's body. Dark. Yeah. Uh, And we see that this is Stephanie. Uh, She comes in front of the camera and pretty much motions a shh motion again. That's when it cuts to the burning car in the garage. We see a little boy come in frame and he motions the same shh as the girl Allison watching says out loud it's or Allison watching says out loud it's the missing kids that's when it cuts again to the pool video and a little boy shushing the camera and then jumps into the pool then we see another video of a kid with a bloody kitchen knife which was used to slit the throats of the people in the bed then we cut to the kid with the lawnmower she makes the same motion and the film finally ends. I have to feel sick. 
I have to yeah. just add really quickly, Freddie. I think, and I've said it throughout this entire episode, the strength of this film is the film reels and the found footage. But this one um, takes the cake. Um, I know I said I really like the lawnmower one earlier in the episode, but I love how there is literal film cuts where the kids will be there and they disappear. And it is, it does have that creepy pasta vibe. Like I spoke about in the earlier, in the, in earlier in the episode um, where it's this, this footage of extended cuts that you're not supposed to see. These are haunted, right? It really much, it very much feels haunted. Um, And it plays with the frame rate of the film. I mean, it is film. um, So it is going to look like it's, in a quicker frame rate than something that we would see um, elsewhere. At least I think so. Apologies if I'm saying, if I'm speaking on that incorrectly, Um, but it just gives it a creepy vibe and I'm just such a fan of it. I think, yeah, you're pretty on that because I feel like this extra footage was the highlight of this movie because you get to see a little bit more context of what's going on in the previous films and it's creepy that's freaking kids that are doing the cur- uh the killings. Yeah. Which I just find kids being creepy in scary movies in general <laughs> being a major trope, but you just see them as creepy kids not really doing anything. But yeah. this one they're like doing horrible, horrible things. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy to think that this demon or deity is able to control kids that way. And this is where, like, I started to think, it's like, oh, Trevor, my guy Trevor, he's about to do some stuff. Yeah. So it was a nice little surprise. Uh, but Ellison begins to feel sick and very worried and seems a little off. He stumbles around looking at his coffee cup that he was drinking from earlier and sees that there is something inside it. He picks up a note that was on the table and it reads, good night, daddy. He falls over and passes out. And then we see him on the ground foaming from the mouth. But that's when we also see Ashley in the background saying, I'm glad you made the movies longer. They are better this way. And we cut the block. What a twist. I mean, yeah, we're all expected to think it's Trevor, right? Because that's how the the movie plays it out to be. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that watch this for the first time and, and thought, nah, they're playing with us. It's going to be Ashley. Um, but yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I, it's... I was surprised. Yeah, for those that did get... Uh, you know, bamboozled by this. I think it's a good bamboozle. Oh, for sure. It, it was, uh, it's well written enough to have that curtain over your eyes until it's lifted up and you're like, no, this is what's really going on. This is the wizard of Oz, which I'm, <laughs> yes, I love yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, we see that Ellison is tied up by the fireplace and so is Tracy. He looks at her and that's when we see Ashley come in the room with an axe. She lowers down and says, don't worry, daddy. I'll make you famous again. Ooh. Haunting line. Yeah, it is. And that's when she's holding a Super 8 camera and starts to film. Sheesh. Uh, she gets closer to him and puts the camera down in front of him. She raises the axe, and that's when we get a POV shot of the recording, but it cuts to another segment. It's Ashley walking to the middle of the, uh, the hallway with the axe in her hand. And there's blood on both sides of the wall. She motions to the camera shh, and walks down the hallway and grabs the camera and shows all the blood on the ground and on the walls. We also see that there's a symbol at the end of the hallway made from the blood. 
She turns around at the very end of the hallway, showing the symbol up close, and now we see the other kids that went missing on the other side. They begin to walk down and then stop in front of the camera. We zoom out to the projection screen playing the video, which is a really cool transition of going mm-hmm. from the film to outside of the film. Then the children begin to look at their right side and the camera moves to where Ashley is on the desk. She adds to the existing drawings of the dead people and shows her whole entire family in the drawing chopped up on the floor. Wait, what did you think about that drawing? Pretty graphic. Well, I, I'll be honest. I was thinking, like, what's going to be this family's thing? How do they die? Um, and when we first see Ashley with the axe, I think, uh, we've already had people cut up, right? But when she draws them all decapitated, I'm like, no, you have your own thing. I think decapitation and chopped off limbs is a is a is a good in on this gang. Right. It's it's pretty graphic. I'm happy we didn't see it. Yeah. Because there's definitely different segments chopped off. What I it's like huge chunks. Yeah. What I do appreciate though is I mean, these are children that are killing, right? And clearly they're tiny and they can't hold weapons and hold a camera at the same time. So I like that when we saw Ashley um, murder her family, um, she put the camcorder down but angled it so you could see see Ellison die. Um, but it gives context to the strange angles in the other uh, film reels that we see, right? It's because these kids have to improvise yeah. putting the camcorder down and also performing these actions. But also so creepy that when we see Ellison die, it's silent in the moment and it just cuts and... Uh, Again, I, I, I know I've been saying it the entire episode, but sound design just on point. And the nice thing I like about how they filmed or how they didn't film her actually doing the chopping was that at that point, I feel like the film was to show the viewer more imagery of Bagul and the kids. So we get the imagery stuck in our heads because that edit had no purpose of her walking down the hallway other than to scare us as the viewer, or that's how mm. I'm taking it, which I yeah. feel like it's a nice little touch from the director. No, it's I like, think that's good. You're seeing the extended cut because now we're trying to show you what she did without showing you, but this is the imagery for you now, which is great. Yeah. Uh, after she does the drawing, she puts the pen down and we cut to the video still playing, uh, still playing, and the kids are still looking her way. She gets up and gets closer to them. She stares, and they all begin to tilt their head, and she begins to do so as well. That's when we see Bagul behind her. All the kids begin to run away in the video. That's when Bagul picks her up and heads where the projection is. Now we cut to them in the uh, we cut to them, and they're inside the video at this point, walking down the hallway. We cut to black and hear the projector stop. We fade back in to see the box of films and the projector still in the attic. The camera zooms out and we get one last jump scare of Bagul popping out and then credits. It would end with a jump scare like that. I feel like when they cut to black, they could have ended it there, but then they faded back in and they showed the box back in the attic. I was like, "Eh, not necessary. And then the jump scares there. I was like, I see what you were doing. (laughs) That's fine. But overall, David, what you think, man? Um, again, like we we spoke on earlier, Freddie, I think this film would be a lot more fun to watch during the spoopy season of the year, 
right? If it's it's October, Halloween time, getting a bunch of friends, maybe those that haven't seen this film or maybe that have, it'd just be nice to get a bunch of snacks and just uh, turn off all the lights and watch this movie. Maybe make make a little fort and watch it. I, I think me, for me personally, movie experiences can be more fun when you set up the environment to complement it. Um, as far as watching it on your own, eh, I mean... If you haven't seen it, you're not missing out on much. Um, but it would be f- a lot more fun to watch with friends, especially if you have friends in there that uh, are, you know, pretty prone to being scared. That's true. I completely agree with all those points. I would say this movie is very unique. It's very different from any other scary movie as well. Uh, it's aesthetically pleasing. There's a lot of great moments in it. I think like we were talking about all the found footage was well done. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cinematography is really well done, too. I have to give credit to the editing because the editing is pretty clean as well. It is. So I have I to think agree. This movie is fun to watch. I think we both agree that we probably shouldn't have watched this alone. It would probably be more fun with friends. But this will definitely get you in the mood leading up to Halloween. You should definitely put it on your list if you're doing a 31 days of Halloween. Um, <laughs> I, I enjoyed it. So it's on Netflix. It's a streaming. Hop on there. Check it out. Please let us know what you think. Just reach us out on Twitter. Uh, we love interacting with you guys, and we love to, to see how you guys feel about this movie. Uh, but yeah, pretty much, let's jump into the movie facts. Movie facts? All right. I got a few. Not too many, but the scenes... Sh- oh, so this was what we were talking about, like uh, the video footage. So the scenes showing the Super 8 home videos were actually filmed on a real Super 8 film camera to capture the grainy, nostalgic effects of old movies, according to the the cinematographer. Definitely worth it because, again, just those those found footages that were sprinkled throughout the movie, I think that was the strength of the movie. Um, So that's awesome that they did that. They went through the extra effort. Exactly. And they really had to, like really pay attention to what they're doing because as you know with super eight cameras you can't take multiple cuts it's kind of like yeah. a one shot you're done or you're doing yep. reshoots so that nice little detail is great that they put in this movie uh the look of it looks fantastic and it definitely does it justice so i'm glad that the directors went that direction because that's perfect uh <laughs> this is a little dark one but the family that was hanged from the tree were all played by stuntmen However, when the scene was first done, the stunt coordinator botched the preparations for the scene, resulting in the actors being legitimately hanged and choked. Oh, oh God. Fortunately, they all survived. And the coordinator was soon fired. Oh, my goodness. That's so disturbing. Uh, It gets a little bit more disturbing. Let's hear it. To be honest. So they, they went for the realistic approach in this movie and how they directed it. So, at around 27 minutes in, we see the Pool Party 1966 snuff film in Sinister, which was extremely difficult to film, according to um, the director. The actor, actors and actresses who played the doomed family were actually tied down to the lawn chairs and pulled underwater in reality. Damn. <laughs> I, I gotta say, I appreciate the extra effort to to detail Uh, in that it sucks that you know i guess that you had to go through that as an actor or actress but uh hopefully they were able to do it safely and uh no one was uh no one's safety was jeopardized but that's that's crazy to hear 
Right. So they said uh, filmmakers had an extremely difficult time to be careful that nobody was harmed while filming this scene. Further complications occurred while filming the killer underwater because Nicholas King, who played the ghoul, had to wear weights to stay underwater for several seconds while he was filmed. Damn. And since the film, and this is the best part, since the scene was filmed entirely on a Super 8 camera or film, uh, they had to make sure that the camera was working properly, rolling well, had a clean cartridge, and had the light meter were working and stuff like that. Otherwise, the scene would have to be reshot numerous times. <laughs> Man, so bravo on the attention to detail. So, good job. I hope it was only a couple cuts or shots. Um, but yeah, <laughs> this is pretty funny. So, this is a movie that had very little blood, almost no cursing, and no sex in this movie because the filmmakers were hoping for a PG-13 rating but they still got a rated R rating instead based on the content alone. Yeah. I, so. I can't imagine this movie being PG 13. I'm actually surprised that it wasn't PG 13, but really? at the same time, I understand now because of like the actual footage. Yeah. It's that's what I'm thinking disturbing. of. Yeah. That's exactly why I'm thinking that. So uh, I think it's properly rated. That makes sense. Uh, oh, so this is another cool thing because we were talking about Ethan or Allison's reaction to the videos. So Ethan Hawke, the actor who played Allison, had never seen the Super 8 snuff films prior to recording. So those were his natural reactions to it. Oh, that's a good touch. I got to I gotta say I appreciate that. And this is where... Okay, so I got the fun facts of what the things were, where I thought it was in the movie, but it was actually in the fun facts. In the scenes where a scorpion and a snake and a dog are shown in the attic, these are are multiple forms of Bagul, as they are depicted in the ancient drawings given by Ellison by the professor in the movie. Ah, so that makes a lot more sense. The snake and the dog was actually Bagul. That yeah, makes a lot more sense. Man, that's crazy. But that's pretty much all the movie facts. Man, wow. But... Again, please let us know how you feel about the movie on Twitter at GoodnightLife. That's night with a K. But this was Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I was one of your hosts, Freddie, also known as Nighty Night. And alongside me on the web, we had David. Say spoopy, everyone. Also known as Nightly. Our efforts to get our show is shows out is not enough. We need your help to spread us out to more ghoulish nights. Reading those five stars is very helpful. But we would love for you to recommend this podcast to someone you would know that would enjoy it. You can further support the show over at patreon.com forward slash goodnightlife. That's night with a what? K. By pledging on Patreon, you will have access to the show as early as Monday. If you don't have any bucks to toss, don't worry about it. A new episode is released every Friday on most podcast services around the world. Now, next movie that we're going to be doing is going to be Poltergeist. Which I'm, I'm excited. excited about. I've never seen Can't it, Freddy. Me too. I've seen the remake, so I'm excited. I haven't even the seen actual... the remake. This is going to be my oh, first, man. my first entry into the Poltergeist universe. Oh, I can't wait. We're going to have a blast with that movie, I think, because I heard yes. nothing but good things. Yeah, me so too. So check us out next week, and you guys always remember: don't forget your nightlight.